0: The Gospel reading, John 15, 1 to 8. And Pastor Tim is going to be preaching on this and making a lot of references to us abiding in him and he abiding in us. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full.
1: Well, good morning. This uh, morning I'd like to start with uh, 10 fun facts about grapes, all right? So the first uh, one is, grapes have been cultivated since uh, 2500 B.C., that means that archaeological findings have proven to us that uh, for 4,500 years or more people have been cultivating grapes around the world. Fact, Fun fact number two. Grapes are the most widely grown fruit in the world. Except for the extreme north and south poles of the, of the uh, globe grapes are grown all around the world. And they're Uh, familiar, everybody's familiar with what grapes are. Number three, grapes are classified as a berry. Now, all other berries grow on plants as individual uh, pieces of fruit, but grapes uh, grow in clusters, and even though they are still considered to be a berry. The next one, grapes are introduced to America 300 years ago by the Spaniards. So, this was happening back in the 1700s, uh, where grapes were brought into uh, the Americas uh, from from Europe. The next one. Concord grapes were developed in the United States in Concord where? Massachusetts. All right. We know that from the uh, Revolutionary War. But these grapes were developed there so that they can Take uh, the cold and the extreme temperatures that are there in the uh, New England area of our our country. The next one, good vine roots produce fruit for more than 100 years. If a a vine dresser, a gardener takes really good care of grapes and and the plant, the vine will grow for over 100 years and produce fruit as well. The oldest grapevine on record is called Old Vine. It's in Mirabor, Slovenia. It's over 400 years old and it's made the Guinness Book of World Records. Next, have you ever eaten a grapeseed? By accident or on purpose, right? But they are edible and actually grape seeds are good for you because they're filled with antioxidants that help you. All right, next. A new branch isn't allowed to produce fruit for three years. So when a vine produces a new branch and they decide that that branch is good enough to keep, they will pluck the fruit from it and prune it it back for three years before they allow it to produce fruit. Next, the grapes come in a variety of colors. They come in purple, Black, blue, red, green, pink, and white. And white grapes are actually green. Go figure, huh? Now, why all this about grapes? Well, because Jesus in our text is talking about grapes. Well, actually not really grapes. He's talking about grape vines and the vineyard, all right? And why is he doing this? Why is He talking about grapevines? Well, because He's talking to His disciples and He's using them as an object lesson so that He can talk to them about some important spiritual truths. And why grapes? Well, because in Jesus' time, Israel was an agricultural society. Their economy was built on farming and ranching. And one of the primary crops of of Israel at that time, and still today, is grapes. And so the disciples would understand grapes, and so Jesus is trying to teach them a story about their spiritual life and their relationship with God, and He was using grapes because they would understand it. And right from the very beginning, Jesus tells us who's who. And so in our Bible passage today, He says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now we need to understand that to the Jew, the real vine, the real vineyard to them was Israel itself. They believed that their country, they as the chosen people of God, were the vineyard. But when we look through the Old Testament, we see that while that is true... It's not always a good thing. Because when we read in Isaiah chapter 5, we see that God says, I look for grapes. Why do I find wild grapes? And then he tells us that he looks for justice, but what does he find? Bloodshed. He looks for righteousness. What does he find? An outcry. In other words, the people of Israel weren't using the court system to make sure that justice took place. They weren't looking to court to make sure that justice was served. Instead, they were using the courts to, pocket, uh, to line their own pockets. They were using the courts to cheat other people out of the things that belonged to them. And when God was looking for them to follow Him and to be their God, they were chasing after other idols. The idols and, and the false gods of the people in the country around them. But now Jesus was telling them, I am the true vine, and my Father, God the Father, is the vine dresser. And what does the vine dresser do? Well, he takes care of the vines, and as he takes care of the vines, he provides what the vines need. And what do the vines need? To be cut, to be pruned back. And the, ba- the bad branches are taken off and thrown away. And the ones that are produ- productive, he prunes back and he cuts them way back. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm not a gardener. If you took one look at my garden in my backyard, you would understand what I'm talking about. I grow a garden every year, I can't even grow a zucchini. That's bad. And to me, it doesn't make sense to be cutting stuff back. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I spend all this time and the water and the fertilizer and putting the soil in, all that kind of stuff, to make things grow. I want them to get bigger. Why would I want to cut them back? It makes no sense to me. But a good gardener knows that in order for things to grow well, and for them to produce fruit, and to produce blossoms if they're flowers, you need to cut back the parts of the plant that are not producing. You need to cut back so that the energy won't be spent on the parts that don't produce and could be spent on the parts that do. And it's also interesting to note that the Greek word for prune also means to be clean. So a good gardener considers pruning and cutting back a form of cleaning that plant. And so with that in mind, Jesus goes on to say this. He says, already you are clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And I'd like you to read this last sentence with me. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus tells us, I'm the vine. My Father is the vine dresser. And who are the branches? You and me. Those of us that are attached to this vine. Those of us that know Jesus... Trust in Him and follow Him and produce fruit. We are the branches. And He's telling us that some are cut off because they're not producing. Others are pruned. Now, folks, there's a whole bunch of ways that we can apply this analogy to our lives. There's a whole bunch of things I can preach on. (coughs) But today what I'd like to do is I'd like to concentrate on one word. The word abide. Abide is a word that we don't use a, a, a whole lot in our language today. It's not something that, uh, that we use as a common term on day to, in day-to-day language. But abide is important. And so I was pondering this this week, and I was thinking about it. And I did what every good red-blooded American would do, and I googled it, right? And I looked it up, and I found on Merriam-Webster's dictionary that there are four different ways that abide can be applied to this analogy of the grapes. And so the first one is this. To abide means to remain stable or fixed, to continue in place. This is what the psalmist had in mind in Psalm 125 when he says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, the place where God dwells which cannot be moved, but abides forever. To abide in this way means that we are stable. We don't move just like God doesn't move. And so what Jesus is saying to us is that to abide in Him means to be continuously attached, to be immovable, to be unflappable, not to move, but to stay always attached to the vine. Now, that's easy for Jesus to say, right? I mean, after all, Jesus is is the Son of God, the God that the psalmist in Psalm 146 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. This is the God who comes to us and say, I, your Lord, your God, am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you Lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He can say that because he's God, but what about us? Aren't we the kind of people that, well, you know, when the times get bad, we we doubt. And when the times are good, well, I really don't need God. I mean, things are going along pretty good, right? Right? We're the kind of people that when we hear the philosophies of this world and they tell us that there are a whole bunch of ways to get to God, we start to doubt. Is it really true that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Or are there some other ways too? Or could we all find our own way? Jesus keeps up His end of the bargain, right? He abides in us, but we're not so good at keeping up our end of the bargain, are we? Number two, abide also means to conform, to accept without objection. This is what we're talking about when we say, you know that Galen guy over there? He's a law-abiding citizen. Or that Elijah over there, he's a good guy. He abides by the rules. What we're talking about are people that we say, you know, they don't ask questions. They just follow the rules of society. They follow the rules of the land, the rules of school, all right? They are abiding people. They conform to. They accept without objection. John says in John, uh, his first letter, uh, 1 John, whoever abides in love abides in God. What does it mean to abide in love? It means to live In a relationship that's governed by love, honoring and respecting God, and knowing that God honors and respects and loves us. To do all the things that we know please and respect and give praise and glory to God because we know that He does whatever it is that we need, right? To have that vertical relationship with God and then also to live in that horizontal relationship with one another, to love one another to respect one another, to serve one another, to be concerned about others' needs. That's what it means to abide in love. Now that's easy for Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus is God and God is love. It's easy for Him to do that. But for us, we have that kind of idea that I'd rather do it my way. Those 10 commandments, nah, they're more like like 10 suggestions. I don't really need to go to church every Sunday, do I, to remember the Sabbath day? I I don't really, well, it's okay if I use his name in vain once in a while, isn't it? And do I always have to respect authorities? Because you know, they're not always respectable, right? Jesus keeps up his end of the bargain, but we don't do so well, do we? The third way that abide fits into this is to to abide also means to tolerate, to bear patiently. Folks, we're talking about people who put up with and are forbearing toward those who have those annoying habits. Those people that, that get under our skin Those people that disappoint us and hurt us over and over again. We're talking about loving other people in spite of their failures. Now, folks, we're not talking about putting up with sin. We're not talking about tolerating things that are wrong. But We're talking about putting up with the people that sometimes wrong us. How Jesus did that perfectly. In Romans chapter 5, we read this. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have a God who loves us no matter what. Even though we wander away, even though we go our own way and want to do things our own way, he still loves us. Even though we disappoint Him over and over and over again, He still forgives us. Even though we come into this church and we confess our sins before Him and realize this is the same sin I confessed to God last week and the week before and the week before and before that even more, He still forgives us and He still loves us. But what about us? We have that kind of philosophy that says, you heard me once, shame on you. You heard me twice, shame on me. In other words, you heard me once and I'm out of here. I'm not going to stick around and let you hurt me again. We don't want to put up with people that disappoint us and hurt us. And we certainly don't want to put up with those, those foibles and those irritating habits that other people have. We're talking about that, that wife who can't put up with her husband anymore because he leaves his laundry around, or the parents that get tired of their rebellious teenager and want to give up on him. We do that sometimes, don't we? Jesus keeps up his end of the bargain. But we don't abide very well, do we? The fourth way that abide applies to this situation. Abide means to wait or to be patient with. We're talking about that loving father who every day is looking up the road waiting for his prodigal son to return. We're talking about the loving wife who always is there to be patient with her husband even though he spends way too much time at work. We're talking about the friend who's willing to forgive and waits for the friend to come back to help to mend that rift that has come between them because of some harsh words or mean actions. We're talking about that child who patiently waits for the parent to keep that promise that they made so long ago. And waiting seems so unbearable. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength we can wait for the Lord, but sometimes it's hard, isn't it? I mean, we've been praying about that, that that godly prayer for so many years and he doesn't answer it. Is he not listening? We want it the way we want it now. But think about how our Lord God waits for us. How he comes and he pursues us with his goodness and his mercy day in and day out. We're talking about the good shepherd that the the puppets were talking about, the pastor mentioned in his sermon last week. The good shepherd that comes after us and follows after us, leaving the 99 to come and seek and save us when we walk away. Jesus keeps his end of the bargain. He abides with us, but we're not too good at abiding, are we? Jesus said, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you could do nothing. Jesus does a good job of abiding with us, but we don't do so well of abiding with him, do we? Is there any hope? Are you and I part of those branches that are going to be cut off and thrown into the fire? Are we going to be pruned? But there's hope. I'd like to take you back to the passage that we, the part of the passage that we looked at before. It says, already you are clean because of the words that I have spoken in you. Folks, already you have been pruned. When God speaks to us in His Word, we look at the Word and we realize that when we read the law, and we read the commandments, and we consider how well we've done that we have failed miserably. We're convicted. It hurts. But then Jesus invites us to come, to turn to Him, to lay those sins at the foot of the cross in repentance. And then He pronounces His forgiveness and says, I love you, I forgive you. He prunes away that sin and He casts it aside so that we can produce fruit as He gives us the power of His Holy Spirit into our lives. How do we abide with Him? We spend time in His Word. We learn what it is that is His heart's desire and what it means to abide in His love. We hear over and over and over his words of forgiveness as he says, I abide with you, I will never leave you, and I always forgive you. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. How do we abide with him? We go to the baptismal font. And we're reminded day after day, week after week, that we are called children of God. How great is the love of the Father that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. He gathers us together, He holds us, He nurtures us, He loves us, and He will never let anything hurt us. How do we abide with Him? We listen to His invitation to come to the table. As he comes to us in person, in the body, in the blood. And he says to each one of us individually, I love you, I love you, I love you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. You are mine, we are one. Every one of us. There was a young girl who was embarrassed to hang out with her mom. One day they, they went to the store. And as her mom was paying for the groceries, her hands went out from underneath her sleeves and they were disfigured and the clerk involuntarily stepped back just for a moment. But the girl was terribly embarrassed because of the deformity in her mom's arms and her hands. (coughs) And the girl began to cry and she ran out to the car Her mom gathered up the groceries. They went out. She went out of the car, and the girl looked at her mom and said, I can't stand to be around you. It's so embarrassing. Your hands and your arms are so deformed, and everybody looks. The mother was understandably deeply hurt, didn't say a word. They drove home in silence. She parks the car in the driveway, and they gather the bags and start carrying them into the house. The girl runs upstairs to her room. About an hour later, the mom walks into her daughter's room, and she sits down. And she said, I'm sorry, you're embarrassed. When you were an infant, I woke up one night, and our house was on fire, Your room was engulfed in flames. I could have gone out the front door unharmed with no problem whatsoever. But I decided right then that I would rather die with you than to die and watch you die alone. And so I gathered myself together, and I ran through the flames to your crib. I gathered you up in my arms, wrapped you up in a blanket, folded you up tightly in my arms, and I ran through the flames to get out. As I ran through the flames, the sleeves on my nightgown started on fire, and I carried you out to the front yard to put out the flames, but I looked down at you, and you were unharmed. The pain was agonizing. But you were safe. And once again, the little girl began to cry. But this time she knelt down in front of her mom, grabbed her arms and her hands, and began to kiss them. Jesus says to us Already you are clean, because Of the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Our Lord God abides in you and me. He's faithful to that promise. He paid an extreme price in order to get us there in His presence, to attach us to Him. What's our response? to abide in Him, to listen, to talk with Him, to spend time in His presence, and to love. Amen?